1: Welcome back into another episode of the Hard Foul. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. Football practice is underway. Uh, we're here to talk about basketball, but I'm just in a great mood today. I know Colin is too because it just feels like everything is right in the world. And as I sit here and record this on a Thursday morning, it's like actually uh, like kind of nice outside. It's unseasonally cool and just feels a little bit like fall. Sports are right around the corner. Basketball maybe a little bit later than we are expecting, although we don't have anything definitive. On that, we're going to talk plenty of basketball. There's been so much speculation about the start date of the season, the structure of the season, what will it look like, conference only, having some non-con games, maybe trying to play it in a bubble, a lot of things that we're going to speculate and pontificate on today. Um, But, Colin, it's been a couple weeks since last we spoke, and as excited as I know you are to have football content back, South Carolina about to have their third practice of the 2020 preseason this morning, a little bit of disappointment last week when the SEC did its official, or I guess that was earlier this week, did their official conference schedule reveal. And after months of meticulous planning for a bi-week wedding, which is a wonderful thing, by the way. I I love the fall. October is my favorite month. You and your fiancé were planning on getting married during the bi-week, and you had planned for that specifically because it's your job, and you all are both Carolina alumni and both love to watch the Gamecocks. And then this stupid pandemic had to come along and mess up the schedule. (laughs) So now I I think uh, the wedding is scheduled for, uh, what, the weekend of the Auburn game? Um, Obviously disappointing, but walk me through just that whole night of what I'm sure was high tension and drama for you and your fiancé.
0: Yeah, so um, knowing that the schedule was going to come out, um, it was kind of a nerve-wracking day. Uh, When we planned it, we actually didn't plan it specifically for the bi-week that was the date that the venue that we're getting married at had open um so we took an educated guess um last may last june over a year ago and um luckily fell on the bi-week so we got lucky once um then obviously a pandemic decided to hit and throw everything out the window in march um still getting married but uh yeah, we knew kind of going into it that we got lucky once, so it was going to re- be really hard to get lucky again. Um, the weirdest part, um, so we're—I'll say this—we're still getting married on the 17th. I've already requested the day off, uh, um, so there's no issues there. No pushback uh, from you? No, no. Um, <laughs> I already, I already, you know, requested it. The invites have gone out, so either we're not going to have somebody to cover it, or. <laughs> then someone else is going to have to do it. But um, the funniest part is her birthday is the next Saturday, the 24th. And so that's obviously, I was like, well, if we don't get it for the wedding, hopefully the bye weeks the next week. so mm. you know, I can spend that, that birthday with her. Um, but obviously they go to LSU that weekend. Then the weekend after is the bye week So um, unlucky on two fronts. But again, we're still getting married the same day. Um, nothing's changed in that regard. I guess we'll just have to have roll out a TV like the substitute teachers did in elementary school and, (laughs) um, have the game on then.
1: But y'all are going to just blow it out then the the week of the bye week if you're going to be rolling wedding celebration and birthday into one weekend, right? Do y'all have anything planned or is it just going to be
0: like just... We don't have anything planned right now, but I'm sure we'll, we'll have a big, nice get together and, you know, small get together, but, um... A nice fun time the Halloween weekend because it'll be the first time after football season we're getting to, you know, really celebrate everything that we've been through over the last couple, you know, year and a half.
1: Yeah, and I mean just like culminating in it, you know, maybe this is like the ultimate. People say when it rains on your wedding day that that's good luck for your marriage. Maybe you know, <laughs> having a football when, when game on because ends. of a schedule change because of a pandemic is like the ultimate good luck for your wedding
0: or, or you something know, like I'll that. I'll take it. Yeah. Whatever good luck we can get, I'll take.
1: Well, and I will say too. Obviously, uh, like I said, you and your fiance uh, love Carolina. That is also your work. Um, so that <laughs> that that makes it a you know I guess especially important. But knowing that you will understand, um, and again, whether or not you actually have the game on, or, or just you know, or understanding of people watching the game while we're there, because you know the other nice thing is it's on a Saturday. And like if you miss a Carolina game on a Saturday, you know it's it sucks. You know you have to do some other things but at least for for me like you know you can go back and watch the game on sunday before you have to talk about it on monday i guess it's a little bit different for you but you got the day off but all that to say uh my friend kelly got married a couple uh uh was that last year? oh gosh yeah just last year it's been been, been a long year in uh, april of 2019 and it was during the final four and i was like oh my gosh like like i'm i'm gonna need to watch the final four but it's like during the wedding and uh yeah. Okay, so this this is a long story, and so I'll, I'll try to condense it as much as possible. But basically, um, her best friend she's from here, so her best friend's dad just happened to be listening to the show that day, and then texted Kelly and was like. Hey, it, you know, totally ratted me out, All you know, all in good fun. and was like, hey, you know what, uh, like, Pearson's on the radio right now talking about, you know, being sad about missing the Final Four games because it's going to be at your wedding. And she texted me and, of course, you know, gave me a hard time, but then was like, no, I, I, I obviously don't care. I encourage you to watch the Final Four. I'm going to want to be watching the Final Four. So I, I say all that to say I know everyone that's going to your wedding Will appreciate the fact that you will understand if they're also tuning into the Carolina game, especially you know during the reception and things like that. Not during the ceremony. I didn't watch any basketball yeah. during the ceremony. Just you know in between bites at dinner. So I, I like everybody is is already appreciative of that. I'm letting you know.
0: Well, see the thing is, is that we're getting married later in the afternoon, um, so this is the one time I think a lot of our attendees that are South Carolina fans uh, will be hoping for a noon kick so they can watch the game and then go to the wedding so um if anyone's listening out there and would like to begin praying for a noon game against (laughs) auburn i am very much appreciative
1: yeah well i'll keep everything i can fingers toes whatever else crossed over here um just to to hope that that happens but uh anyway i appreciate you uh you opening up uh sharing sharing that personal anecdote with uh with everybody because it's been it's been kind of a fun subplot for for us to follow in sort of like media twitter i think it was uh mike yuva that that first uh Made mention of that on Twitter, I, you know. I guess it was on that day I was scrolling through and I saw him say something like, "Oh yeah," and you know, Colin's going to be eagerly awaiting the decision. I was like, "Oh yeah," like this is this is high intensity for him. So, um, anyway, all, all that to say, in good fun and obviously, you know, wedding comes first and foremost, and it's going to be wonderful, and you know, happy for both of you. And uh, you know, the game is secondary, and you'll watch it, and you'll know what happens, and you're going to continue doing your work, um, and you'll be and there'll there for be the plenty other of great
0: coverage. Yeah, and yeah, there'll be plenty yeah. of great coverage on Gamecock Central for me, Doug read back over and, and get get my fill of whatever i missed
1: yeah and yeah wes and chris do a decent job <laughs> we'll, we'll say it like that y'all got a great staff over there um all right this uh the, the, if you just tuned in for the first time you would think this is a football podcast is actually the hard valve this is a basketball podcast um but colin you do everything over there at gamecock central and uh that's such a such has been such an important subplot i figured it was worth touching on but uh in basketball news south carolina return back to campus a little bit after the football team and a little bit later uh, than they normally do. And we uh, spent a little bit of time on the last podcast talking about the reasons for uh, condensing and sort of moving the preseason. So before we get into a lot of the speculation about what the 2020-2021 regular season might look like, uh, give us a quick update. How have uh, I guess the off-season training programs have uh, been going. They've been doing it in, a, in not exactly a bubble, but in pods. Um, what's the latest uh, from South Carolina this summer?
0: Yeah, so um, they've actually just started doing uh, on-court work. I believe this is the second week of, of full on-court work stuff. So um, they'll do that for a couple more weeks in small groups and then go full team after that. So um Hard to glean a lot from, you know, working out in, you know, groups of, or smaller groups, people knocking some rust off, but um, getting closer to working on, you know, the full team workouts, and they're still obviously in the weight room and uh, trying to develop from that standpoint as we get closer to whatever the heck this season's going to look like.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and basketball is interesting in that respect because in football, you can, I don't want to say get a clearer picture because there's obviously still a lot more that goes into it than just getting big, but, you know, say if you're a, a young offensive lineman you're coming in like th- the reports are going to be are you where you need to be in terms of your size if you come in at 280 and you leave camp at 290 it's like all right that you know that guy's probably going to redshirt but if you come in you get all the way up to 300 305 whatever it's like oh is this guy kind of working himself into shape because basketball has you know so much more skill involved you can't just tell as much necessarily from workouts uh, but in terms of uh, the young guys that are coming in, the two incoming freshmen uh, in terms of Seventh Woods, who's obviously been around the program for a year, is there any update? Has there been any uh, sort of sign, any sort of encouragement or a reason for pessimism or anything, uh, leaving workouts and, and sort of entering the on-court portion of the preseason?
0: Yeah, no, this is they're kind of in wait-and-see mode. I mean, obviously you want to you know start bulking up the freshmen and uh, getting their bodies right. But, I mean, the team posted a picture of Patrick Uriel the other day. Uh, one of the freshmen coming in. And, I mean, he looks the part big, strong. Um, so I think that's good with Javon Benson. Um, one of the other freshmen, uh, the talk before he got to campus was always he's going to need some time to reshape his body and get on a nutrition program. Um, so they're doing that. And, and then the seventh, he's had a year to do it. So his body's kind of, I would say, where it needs to be right now. And now it's about kind of getting him acclimated to um, what – needs to happen for him to fit into the system because obviously when you're a transfer you're not working as much as you would if you were going to play 15-20 minutes a game Mm -hmm. um so we'll know more um as the week goes on as they get into i guess more you know full team stuff um and then we'll kind of see where they are and where they need to go as as i guess camp is supposed to start you know in the september beginning of october
1: Right. So they'll have it, you know, essentially between now and then to have, well, what's the difference between what they're doing right now in the preseason and what they will be able to start doing at the end of September? I I know in football, it's like you you can't have a ball. You can be in helmets, but no other pads. And there are different sorts of, uh, you know, regulations and things. And I'm sure there are similar ones um, for basketball. And I I don't know how much that changes, especially given uh, you know the, the nature of the pandemic and the uncertain future of basketball. But what does the next month look like for them?
0: Yeah, it's just an hour's restriction. Um, I want to say it's eight to ten hours on the court at a time. So um, you're doing it in smaller pods. Uh, You're doing it, you know, an hour here, an hour there, two hours here, two hours there, opposed to practice where you're on the court for a little bit longer. And um, it's more, you know, installation and and schematic stuff rather than um, skill work, which is kind of what they're doing now in terms of kind of honing in on a few different things that they need to improve on heading into the season and, Kind of doing some things that are going to get them better prepared for when you are getting ready to install and, and work on the you know offensive and defensive things that Frank Martin wants them to do.
1: And I wonder if having sort of that time uh, like more condensed or at least more continuous for South Carolina and I mean really for everybody because everyone's sort of in the in the same boat here generally speaking. Uh, again, with things being uh, pushed back and it may be pushed back even further, in which case the teams will have even more time, sort of like the football teams have had. You know, basically an extra months worth of, if not practice time, at least time spent together uh, in meetings. But, you know, for a team like Carolina, there's already a lot of continuity there, but you are breaking in at least one significant new piece. Again, like Benson and Ariel, the amount of minutes that they're going to get, South Carolina's already, uh, you know, you already feel pretty good about their depth pretty much everywhere. um, And and given the versatility that they have, I I don't know how much those guys are going to factor in, especially right away for Carolina. But breaking in 7th Woods, uh, having A.J. Lawson come back after it seemed like there was... uh, I don't know if Carolina had prepared itself for A.J. Lawson to be gone or if they were always kind of fully expecting him to come back. But figuring out how all of that works, you know, having this extra time in in the preseason, again, even if there is sort of an hours restriction, having it all sort of continuous, I I imagine helps sort of develop the continuity of this group.
0: Yeah, and you have... The continuity is a big part, team chemistry. Um, but the biggest thing is just kind of keeping them engaged for a longer period of time. I mean, you know, when in a normal off season they're here in, you know, June and, and part of July and then they go home for a few weeks and, you know, you're not able to kind of keep uh, the same kind of tabs on them as you would on campus. So um, they came in, obviously, in you know end of July and then started working out in August and, Um, you know, and they're going to keep them on campus actually came in, I think in a June and then worked out beginning of July and then they kept keep them on campus. You're able to keep tabs on them. You're able to kind of see them develop a little bit more and and have more hands on approach to it compared to what you would in a normal off season. So, I mean, we've heard Will Muschamp talk about um, kind of being a little bit further along than they would be in a normal off season. Um, so I'm interested to get Frank's take whenever we talk to him next, just about where he feels his team is. And, um, I think it's beneficial. Um, you know, we talk about these, you know, unplanned kind of fallouts to, you know, a pandemic like this from the sports side of things. And I think you're going to see something, you know, you could easily see the calendar get tweaked if coaches like it Mm -hmm. to where it stays somewhat like this, um, for the foreseeable future, just because coaches might like having their players, on campus a little bit longer um, leading up to camp um, as opposed to, you know, of that more downtime in the summer.
1: I'm sure the coaches uh, do love that and would all vote for it. The question is how tough is that going to be for the players? Um, again, even if not physically, because it seems like they're doing a pretty good job of breaking it up so that the the physical grind of the preseason doesn't get to be too overwhelming for those guys, at least, the, you know, the psychological grind of having to do it um, every day, so I, I don't know. I guess well, we'll have to wait and ask those guys once you get to the end of the preseason. You know, hey, just how exhausting was this thing? um But I, I think that's certainly one thing. We, we you know we talk in all facets of life, but especially in sports and in terms of you know how the schedule is constructed and things like that. There, there have been I think a lot of productive conversations about you know permanently altering the calendar. And again, we're about to get to a, a, a I guess more bigger picture. Uh, sort of, uh, you know, calendar calculation here as we talk about the actual regular season and the NCAA tournament. Uh, But I guess what would be, aside from the players just being like, "Ah, you know, this actually really sucks to just be on campus this much, and and it is sort of a grind. But what would you expect any other pushback to be to uh, a permanent schedule revision to what it has been this preseason?
0: Yeah, hours, numbers, um, the amount of time um, coaches get to work with guys, you know, because you had the spring truncated, um, South Carolina only got five practices in. A lot of schools didn't get any practices in. Um, players weren't on the practice field for that amount of time, so you might have to tweak spring. Um, and I don't know if there's going to be any pushback from the coaches there. I know players are not, you know, talk to some guys that have left and spring practice was never their favorite time in the world. Um but, you know, it's going to be interesting. Uh, I think the, the biggest issue is how many hours you're allowed to have these guys in the spring, in the summer, and obviously in the fall camp. So that's kind of the biggest issue there. And, um, I, you know, I'm not a Division one football, basketball, baseball player, whatever it is, but, you know, I think it would be nice to end the season or end the spring and um, have a few months of, you know, turning off and then you come back in July and then you get to work out in the condition and then – um go right into fall camp. Mm-hmm. So um, that's just my personal preference, but you know I could see it where players want to have a little bit more downtime right before camp starts, um, before they you know dive headfirst into it.
1: Right. I and mean, coaches always want more practice time. They always, want more yeah. practice
0: time. always want more practice time. Always want more
1: practice time. I'll ask you this next one uh, sort of open-endedly because South Carolina, as an athletic department, has elected not to release these numbers like a lot of programs around the country have. But to the best of your knowledge, has South Carolina been healthy uh, throughout this first part of the preseason, at least from the ba- uh, the basketball program?
0: As far as I know, um, I haven't seen anything that's necessarily led to me believing that there's a COVID outbreak or anything like that. Um, they're being extra safe. Obviously, Frank Martin had it, so he's obviously a little bit more cautious, but we haven't heard anything to the tune of anyone missing time or anything like that for COVID.
1: And I guess that's even more uh, troubling with a basketball team because if you have a, a mini-outbreak on a football team and it's 15 guys, odds are it's not going to be your best 15 guys and you have 100 people on the roster, so that is unfortunate and you know could be significant, but ultimately be manageable. And if, if one guy gets it, I guess that's the benefit of uh, training in the pods. If one guy gets it, only three or four are going to get it as opposed to 15. But in, in the run of a season, I mean, one like, relatively speaking small COVID-19 outbreak could knock a team out for you know essentially a couple of weeks so in some ways while it's easier to manage a smaller group of people it's i think a little bit more precarious when we're talking about basketball as opposed to football
0: yeah absolutely and i mean with football these guys live together but you're only fitting four into a room and you know four you know four people the percentage of that you know on a 15 man roster is a higher percentage than four people on a you know 80 or 115 man roster in football so um, that's why they're being a little bit, you know, extra safe, um, doing some testing, and then um, just trying to be as safe as possible because, you know, all of a sudden it takes one guy to get it, you know, in a drive-through. Well, Muschamp even talked about it. You know, you go through a drive-through, somebody accidentally sneezes on your food, and all of a sudden you get you know, coronavirus. Mm. So um, they're being about as safe as possible um, as they kind of approach these off-season workouts and making sure everybody stays safe so they don't have an outbreak like a lot of other schools are seeing right now or having.
1: God, coronavirus or no, though. I don't want to think about anybody sneezing in my food at, a, at a fast That's, food restaurant yeah. or anywhere. <laughs> Gosh. Yeah. Um, gross. Thanks for that one. Um, well, thanks for that one, Will. Um, yeah. So the basketball season is obviously farther away from the start. So big picture decisions are not having to be made. And I, I feel bad. I feel like I've made a lot of football comparisons already, but it's just because – you know, football is the, the first college sport up in terms of dealing with these things. So we're just kind of taking what we've seen in terms of the protocols, in terms of the approach, in terms of you know reactions and everything like that. We're just trying to learn what we can from football and apply it to basketball. So after the Big Ten and Pac-12 football conferences announced that they were going to postpone their season until the spring, um, again, basketball is far enough away that, it, that people I think would be comfortable. I mean, it's it's basically mostly a spring sport anyway. I mean, you start in November and you have the non-conference portion of your schedule but within the basketball world within the college basketball world did you hear uh, like any more trepidation after those two football conferences made their decision about what that could mean for the start of basketball season
0: no and i think you know basketball is in a good spot to where you know i feel pretty comfortable that there's going to be a season of some sort this year um, i don't think it's going to look anything like what we're used to seeing where you get to you know south carolina's traveling to you know George Washington like they were supposed to this year or Coastal or something like that. Um, I don't think that's going to be necessarily the case, but um, I'm pretty comfortable in in thinking that at least right now, um, you're going to see some sort of basketball season. You're going to see some sort of, whether that's in a bubble or however they want to roll with it. Um, And A lot of it's going to depend obviously on how football does, on how things go with students uh, returning to campus if there's any spikes and um, just kind of how all that factors in. But I think right now um, basketball is tracking to have some sort of weird schedule that's going to look different, but we're going to get college basketball.
1: Yeah, I think we'll get it at some point. And, again, for for those conferences that have postponed football to the spring, again, basketball is mostly in the spring. And I guess I should say I, I think included in that was fall sports. But for the, in the case of basketball specifically, the reason I didn't include them is that it was sort of a, you know, There, there's not going to be any fall sports this semester, but since most places are going home at Thanksgiving anyway, I don't know how much that would have impacted basketball anyway, other than, like like I said, just pushing it back um, maybe sort of a month. And and I guess let's start with that. Again, it's going to be different. uh, I I mean, I, I guess... I guess the, the rationale is going to be different in different parts of the country, like we have seen um, with a lot of things, not just sports, just you know, states opening up in various stages at various times because coronavirus is you know hitting states in different parts of the country very differently. But if I had to ask you, on August 20th, and by the way, today is the first day of class for South Carolina, so in the next couple weeks I think we'll get a clearer picture of at least how things look here in Columbia in terms of the football season going forward, in terms of the basketball season, uh, anything else that they hope to get going this fall what would be your guess if I had to say the 2020 basketball season in the Southeastern conference starts on
0: conference season? I think conference season definitely starts on time uh, beginning of the new year, non-conference season. Probably I'd probably put it after Thanksgiving, um, starting just based off what I've read and what I've seen from, you know, other national media guys and, um, I just think that that's kind of where they need to be and kind of, you know, see how it reacts when when flu season kind of kicks up and then make a decision after that. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I think you're going to see it happen. Some non-conference, my guess would be bubble situations. Um, But, you know, you're going to see it not probably not start at the beginning of November like it's supposed to
1: we see a lot of interconference tournaments uh, unfortunately like in the middle of the season which is usually kind of a bummer because it breaks up conference play but could you conceivably do that uh, basically just have an expanded version of those to knock out all of your non-conference games now it wouldn't be it wouldn't be one to one and i mean a, a large purpose of the well the, i guess the non-conference part of the schedule serves two purposes one it's sort of a ramp up into conference play which is Basically, the most important thing in basketball, and two, it's an opportunity for you to get your win total up into that, you know, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two kind of range that is sort of the barrier of entry for the NCAA tournament. So, uh, if you leave that part aside and say this is kind of a weird season, you know, you understand the teams are going to be playing different amounts of games, probably fewer games overall. Do, have you heard any talk about a push to basically just have? a a jamboree, a big tournament where uh, just maybe an expanded version of the SEC Big 12 Challenger or something like that to start the season to try to get in like a certain amount of those non-conference games but being able to do it in that tournament setting which is already kind of a bubble in and of itself or at least easier to to transition into a bubble than a full non-con slate would be.
0: Yeah, I've seen I was listening to Gary Parish and his podcast the other day and he was kind of talking about um, an idea that I really, really liked, um, where you have six teams get into a bubble. Um, so let's say it's, you know, South Carolina, Clemson, um, and then a few other schools from around the Southeast, uh, whether, you know, all from different conferences, and you take three weeks and you play the other five teams in that, you take two weeks and you play the other five teams in your bubble, and you do that twice that gives you 10 non-conference games leading into the new year. Um, and that kind of satisfies your non-conference, gives you a few games against other power five teams. South Carolina will get to play Clemson again in that situation, potentially. and um, I think that's something that makes a lot of sense. Um, you host that at whether it's in, you know, for South Carolina, you could host it at South Carolina in Greenville, um, wherever that might be. And, You get the bubble aspect. You get to protect your athletes um, when classes are all online after Thanksgiving or aren't happening, period. Um, And it just kind of allows you that bubble atmosphere to protect the student athletes while getting some games in before you go into conference play.
1: So you like that model, knowing that, especially for South Carolina, I mean, for everyone, it's going to be a lot harder. And I think you're probably going to have to move the bar of entry again for the NCAA tournament if you're – Basically, mandating it that everybody else play a tougher schedule. Now, I don't know if this would be like South Carolina and Clemson, and then College of Charleston, Citadel, like other places like that, or if you would, like you said, from other conferences, like a you know you throw uh, Texas Tech in there because I guess you know Texas Tech is good. That'd be that'd be cool. That would uh, yeah. you know give give that uh, give that pot or bubble or tournament or whatever you want to call it a, a little more heft and and have sort of that. Um, but again, you're ultimately going to be playing fewer games, and those are going to be more hard games. So do you think that, I guess I guess I should ask, do you think the schools will go for that, knowing that like ultimately there's going to come a point where they're going to be judged by their record, and you still want your record to be good, you still want winnable games, or do you think schools and coaches are just going to say, we just want to get as many games in as we can?
0: I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, I don't think a team is going to want to sign up. Like, if you're South Carolina... I don't think you'd want to sign up for a bubble that has, you know, Clemson, Michigan, Texas tech, Syracuse, um, Seton hall and Villanova in it, you know? (laughs) Um, now granted, I think Frank would say, you know, we're competitors. Let's go. Let's, you know, to hell with it. Let's go compete. But, you know, um, most teams aren't going to want to sign up for that. You know, um, I think if you have a good competitive balance of, you know, if it's, let's for hypothetical sake, um, South Carolina, um, Clemson, I'm trying to think of some other schools. You know, you could have, you know, SC State, College of Charleston, um, Murray State, um, and just kind of pull from different conferences. Um, a team from, you know, each conference kind of in your area, whether from high majors to low majors to mid majors, then you have a pretty good competitive balance to where. It's you get some good wins like if South Carolina can to win against Clemson and play you know and, and get another, you know, win over a, a net top, you know, fifty team or whatever it is. Um, and then, you know, not some wins against, you know, maybe a South Carolina State or a coastal or something along those lines, then that bubble becomes a little bit more doable for a power five school, a high major school, because you still get that competitiveness um with your other high major teams, but there's also some w- what they would call buy games in the mix as well um, to kind of get you some easy wins and kind of boost those win totals that you need to have um, for that NPA tournament. Is that
1: a front-runner, or is that just the idea that you like the most?
0: That's the idea that I like the most. Um, I don't think there's really a front-runner right now. Um, I think they're still talking about it. Um, They've, you know, I've seen stuff about the NCAA potentially wanting to move to to host sites and have different bubbles across the country. But um, the one where you can host it at a university and you have two or three of those over the course of your non-conference to where you get 10 games in, that feels like the most doable uh, for me. Um, Just me looking at it and reading about it. and um, I think it'd be fun. You know, what fan wouldn't want to watch you know, almost like an NCAA tournament atmosphere where you're playing on a Thursday and then playing again on Saturday and that kind of situation um, to where it kind of gives you, you know, that competitive nature that, you know, not win or go home, but, you know, you're playing a lot, you're getting to watch your team a lot, and it's against good competition.
1: I mean, I think it would be great, and I, I like the... Uh, interconference tournaments that they do, I just wish they didn't do them in the middle of the season or in the middle of the conference season. I wish it were, you know, maybe the last thing you did in the non conference, ramping up to the conference schedule or something like that. But uh, other than that, I am in favor of them because it is it is high level basketball. And, and look, look, South Carolina has made entertaining games out of, you know, good opponents and out of terrible opponents in, in the non conference part of the schedule the last couple of years. So it hasn't really mattered. You can watch a close basketball game either way, at least when you're watching the Gamecocks. But I, I think that part, I think that. I think that suggestion would would I think satisfy a lot of what college basketball would be missing because I mean they're still smarting significantly from not having the revenue from last year's NCAA tournament. So I, I'm not going to sit here and say that all they're concerned with is trying to make some of that money back because I mean you're never going to make all that money back. That's that's you know I, I don't even know what the number is. Maybe you have an idea, but it's it's an unbelievably large number. But if you can just work towards that, if you can make a little bit more in the early part of the basketball season than you did. Last year, I, I think that's a good thing. I think all the schools are going to want that because that's a huge payout. That's a huge distribution. Um, and and if that if that gives you a better like made for TV product to have more of these competitive games, more of these marquee games to say, you know, hey, it's it's November seventh. You know, normally you are watching football, and that's mostly what you care about. But all of a sudden, you know, we have like this whole batch of like really competitive non-conference basketball games. I I I don't uh, other than coaches that are worried about the record. Um, And, and again, I I don't think most coaches – most coaches are kind of in a, you know, beggars can't be choosers situation right here. Um, I I think most everybody would go for that and ultimately be a really good thing for college basketball.
0: Yeah. I mean, if you're – I mean, let's just think about it on the surface. Wouldn't you take South Carolina completely out of the equation? Wouldn't you sign up for a tournament that included, you know, or a, a bubble situation that included Villanova? Um, Michigan, Syracuse, uh, Seton Hall, um, Duke, and, you know, North Carolina, or Kentucky, I mean, that would be awesome. Like, CBS and ESPN and whoever else would be fighting each other for, you know, television rights to that, Mm -hmm. Um, which could help them recoup a lot of, not all of it, but some of the stuff that they lost from the NCAA tournament being canceled. So, um, I think it's a great idea. Now, obviously, that one is like your dream scenario for the NCAA where you have all those big brands um, playing in it. But, you know, say if you're South Carolina, um, we'll go back to South Carolina. Let's say, you know, who wouldn't want to see a, you know, a regional with South Carolina, Clemson, Austin P, which is a really good mid-major um, and match figure, West Virginia, um, I'm trying to think of like, you know, a, a Big Ten school, let's say Indiana, and, you know, another mid-major, you know, fall into another mid-major school and you have your 16. But, you know, that would be a big draw for Big Ten, you know, every conference. Mm-hmm. Um, and it would give South Carolina a good chance to, you know, notch some wins against Power Five competition.
1: I may have gotten my head uh, ahead of myself in asking. I, I'm just expecting it to be something like this. But is there any chance at this point that the college basketball season does actually proceed as normal, as scheduled, before any of this happens? Or is that already out the window?
0: I mean, there's always a chance. Um, you know, I think when you talk, you know, when administrators and coaches talk about the health and safety of their, you know, students being the number one priority, it looks like the bubble is the best way to do that, or, or a semi-bubble is the best way to do that. So... Um, I think that's the safest bet now, obviously, you know, as coming from somebody that was going to get married October 17th on a bye week and is now getting married to South Carolina plays Auburn, things can change very quickly in this <laughs> pandemic. Well, <laughs> um,
1: welcome that you fast. So,
0: yeah. I mean, it, things change pretty quick. So, um, what things look like on August 20th is going to be vastly different than what it, what it looks like on November 1st or November 10th or, mm-hmm. you know, November 28th. So, um, a long way to go but you know the ncaa's got to make a decision soon on whether or not to push things back um that's coming in you know mid-september and um i guess we'll kind of go from there once they kind of make their decision and we'll, we'll know a lot more over the next two weeks on where things stand with the ncaa basketball
1: season one of the other suggestions that i've heard to have teams play a more full schedule would be to simply expand the conference slate which we've seen Uh, I guess every football conference, even the ones that aren't going to play, at least attempt to do or do in theory. Now, you already play a lot of conference basketball games. You play 18 of them. You have uh, 13 other teams in your conference. Some of them you play twice. Some of them you play once. Uh, What is your understanding of how an expanded conference slate would be? Do you just play the other 13 teams twice? Would you play some teams three times? Because I think Carolina played, what, 31 games last year? They finished 18 and 13 and hadn't yet played their SEC tournament game. So you're trying to get in the neighborhood of 30. Um, it, would it just be as simple as, hey, just play everyone in the conference twice?
0: That seems like the most likely scenario, um, at least right now. It feels like just you know what we're reading and, and seeing. So um, if it's just conference only, that seems like the plan. Um, but I think basketball would like to have some non-conference games on its schedule. I think you know, coaches would like to have at least a little bit of tune-up before having to go, you know, if you're Frank Martin, you have a pretty veteran team. I don't know if it would be as big of a deal to you, but let's say you're Jerry Stackhouse at Vanderbilt, who's kind of rebuilding that roster. I think you would want to go play, you know, some directional school from Tennessee and um, instead of saying, okay, well, you got to play Auburn on November you know, 30th, have fun, you know? So um, I think 20, you know, if we're just going to do, Twenty six, you know, a conference only twenty six, playing the other teams twice would would work, but I think they're going to try to get as many non-con games in as possible.
1: I hope so. Um, again, that that's important for for the win total and also sort of for the ramp up. But if they play maybe just an abbreviated non-conference schedule and they're only able to schedule like four or five games and they play those. Uh, in December, rather than in November, and then just immediately start conference play after that, or, or you know something like that. Um, so, so you get to your thirty games. Let's say you play four non-conference games, and then you play twenty-six conference games. I like that not only from the entertainment perspective again for the same reason that I like it in football, because you just have more games that matter. Uh, but for South Carolina specifically, it, it's no secret that they have mostly played better in conference than out of conference, and I I don't know, it's it's completely inexplicable, and we could probably spend an entire podcast just. Trying to unpack that and just you know giving random wild theories of of why exactly that is, um, but there seems to be something in this team uh, competitively, at least in the last couple of years, that they they kind of just play to the level of their opponent. So for South Carolina, I think the idea of a of a conference or an expanded conference slate would be really interesting. Um, and and even though look, I mean they're 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 not the most talented team in the conference, but they're very deep, they're experienced, they're a unit that's played together a lot. Um, and especially as you look at a lot of teams around the conference, you know teams like Kentucky, they're going to be fine. Like they have a, they have a bunch of guys that are leaving early because they always do, and they're going to bring in a bunch of other guys, and they're going to be just fine. But Vanderbilt's got a couple guys going early in the draft. Um, Arkansas, that with a somewhat of a surprise, uh, with Isaiah uh, Isaiah Joe announcing pretty much right at the deadline that he was going to enter the NBA draft. It's now uh, Mason Jones and Isaiah Joe from Arkansas. Mississippi State's got a couple guys going. There are a lot of guys that are going early. South Carolina, as a group that has some continuity, as a group that has some depth and that has played well in the conference lately might be, you know, a, a team that really supports that and could stand to benefit from that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, they kind of, you know, we always talked about South Carolina's kind of befuddling non conference slate and losing some games they shouldn't, you know, shouldn't lose, and that's because of inexperience. Um, inexperienced teams, which there's going to be a lot of, uh, regardless of talent, tend to slip up. Or non-conference play just because they haven't been through it before. So, um even going into this year if South Carolina was going to play 30 games and you know 14 non-con. You you know, you felt good about their chances because you know they were experienced. So, I think it's going to be beneficial whatever it's going to be for South Carolina just because they are experienced. They do have four of their five starters returning with seventh woods with you know a lot of really good role players from last season's team, so um Yeah, I think that, you know, if you're starting just conference play, you know, South Carolina is good in conference play, but I mean, going into it this year with the roles already kind of defined for each guy, I mean, they have a chance to really hit the ground running. And the SEC is going to be talented this year, but South Carolina is going to be one of the more experienced teams in it, Mm -hmm. um, which is good and beneficial for. South Carolina, whatever the schedule is going to look
1: like. Yeah, well, I mean, we're way too early now. We don't have the schedule. We don't know when the season's going to start. We don't know if there's going to be non-conference play, if there's going to be 18 conference games or 26 conference games. A lot of it is is still up in the air. But if you just had to to throw it out right now, if if today were the culmination of SEC basketball media days and you had to pick Carolina uh, to finish, let's assume let's assume that it is a, an expanded conference slate. And Carolina's going to play 30 games. It's four non-conference games. It's 26 conference games how would you where where would you pick them to finish in the SEC right now just given what they're bringing back
0: I'd probably pick them to finish probably fifth or sixth um and that's not a, a ding on South Carolina but Tennessee's going to be good this year um Kentucky's obviously Kentucky Alabama's going to have a good team um so probably in that 4 5 or 6 range mm-hmm. um, you know Auburn's going to be good um Now fourth, fifth, or sixth in the SEC is good enough to get you in the NCAA tournament most years too. So, um, pretty much unless you're South Carolina. (laughs) Yeah. Well, like wasn't it you know a couple years ago when um, they finished like fourth that every other Power Five team (laughs) or every other high major conference had their Mm -hmm. fourth place team make it outside of the Pac-12 in the SEC.
1: Yeah, yeah, which
0: is kind of insane. And it, it's it's, so.
1: it's three of the last five years. I guess one of those is a final four year, um, and then, uh, gosh, there was one year that the, the non-con was just so bad. It's like I can't even blame you. And then, yeah, it was it was not last year, but I guess two years ago that they finished fourth, and and then uh, yeah, didn't get in either. So it's it's been a I don't know a little bit snake bitten for uh, for Carolina. But uh, does that change if I tell you that the season's going to be normal and Carolina's going to play twelve non-conference games and eighteen SEC games in terms of your projection?
0: Probably not. Um, I think they're experienced enough, talented enough to where you can kind of throw whatever you want to at them and I think they're gonna kinda of maintain that level of talent and experience and um I think that really helps their case in terms of whatever it's going what whatever the season's gonna look like. I think the coaching staff and the players are going to be prepared for it.
1: Um, one more question on, on sort of the, the bubble, the future of the season, and again, this is all speculation at this point. Actually, I guess two more questions because I, I, I will also ask you, uh, when do you think we will have a clearer picture of what the season will look like?
0: Yeah, so I think you're going to see that probably the end of September. Um, I know the NCAAs come out and said that they want to have a decision by mid-September on whether or not the season is going to start on time, uh, and then I think they're going to take the next couple weeks. And, um Really delve into kind of how that's going to work because coaches want answers too. I mean, <laughs> the media and the, and the general public do, but coaches want to know kind of how they want to prepare and how this is all going to look over the next, you know, couple months. And um, I think you're going to have need to have at least somewhat of a, a general idea, you know, into September, beginning of October. That way, coaches can kind of start planning practice schedules and um, things like that around it.
1: And I guess at this point you're just—I mean—you're preparing as if the season's going to be normal, or at least that's what you're telling your players. But I—I I remember, I think it was Ryan Day that said after the Big Ten um, had canceled its season, he was like, "Yeah, you know, it, it's hard when we don't have a plan to get up there in front of the guys and tell them, you know, what we're doing because we don't know, and we need sort of a, a clearer picture and sort of a a specific goal." So I, I guess as soon as possible would be good in some respects, but on the other hand, you, you do kind of want to wait and gather as much information as possible because you don't want to. You don't want to make one decision and then realize, you know, two weeks or a month later that you could have made a different, more profitable, more beneficial decision. So it's a, it's, I mean, it's a fine balancing act. But we will, uh, we'll go ahead and and tentatively circle the end of September for some more information on that. Uh, The the other thing that I wanted to ask you, though, because we talked about a bubble for sort of non-con, and it's, I mean, it's, it's still probably not feasible when you talk about conference play, just because, again, especially once you get back into the spring. If you're talking about November, December. And maybe just starting a conference late Then I think there would be, a, a, an, like an obvious potential to have a bubble because you're not talking about guys being uh, on campus or in class because classes are either going to be online or they're going to be or they're going to be over. But once you get back into the spring semester, January, February, March, it doesn't seem likely. But is, has there been any scenario discussed of having a bubble? in-conference play where maybe, like you said, it's not getting six teams together, but you get four teams together, or maybe it is six teams together or whatever, and and try to knock out a couple games, like, say, in a weekend or a long weekend, play like Friday, Sunday, um, just to try to keep it together, um, as opposed to having to add all the travel in every single, I mean, basically twice a week for three months?
0: Yeah, I mean, I haven't heard anything specific about a conference bubble. I'm not saying it hasn't been talked about, I just haven't heard it. Um, I think it's Smart. I think it's a lot of it's going to depend on what in person classes look like or classes in general look like. Um, we know with the football team, a lot of those guys are doing online classes uh, right now. Um, so that's still an option in the spring. Obviously, depending on how all the other SEC universities do it, um, can make it happen. But um, it's going to be interesting. Um, I don't think the SEC really knows what it wants to do now for basketball. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, luckily, time is somewhat on their side. The season doesn't start for another two months or so, uh, two and a half months. So they have a little bit of time to figure it out um, and kind of judge based off that. But I could see a situation where you have weekend bubbles, um, like you talked about, where, you know, you come in on Thursday, you play Friday, Sunday, you can go back Monday, and you can still go through class and practice and all that. And um, I think that's feasible. Uh, Now it's just a matter of, kind of, you know, putting in practice and and finding out all the logistics that go into it.
1: Yeah, I mean, you you kind of split the league in half, and not exactly, uh, you know, obviously, but, you know, have eight teams go play a couple games in Atlanta one weekend, and the other six teams go play in Nashville because, I mean, that that way you you can sort of control... It's easier to control, like, a hotel and an arena or two in Nashville and Atlanta than it is, you know, seven different arenas across, you know... Seven different cities, seven different states, and you know a couple of different time zones. It just seems like it might be more manageable. Um, but then again, where the NBA and NHL have been able to make that work, it's been you know incredibly expensive in terms of testing, in terms of you know locking those things down. And while yes, college basketball does make a lot of money, it's it's not really the same as as the NBA. So I I, I don't know how feasible that would be internally, um, you know, financially, all of those things. Especially again, when you're talking about trying to recuperate just an unbelievable amount of money lost uh, in the college basketball season. Uh, last year, but I I wonder and look. Hopefully, hopefully by the time we get to basketball season, that the, the COVID nineteen pandemic will be under control anyway. Um, a vaccine, you know, has already been ordered. Hopefully, that's you know here by the end of the year and works, so we don't even have to worry about it in the spring. Um, but like again, just like thinking about the entertainment part of that, that could be kind of fun because I've enjoyed watching uh, the NBA bubble, and it seems like it's been. I mean, it's been different, not having fans there. It's been kind of cool though, just having a, a like a more raw atmosphere and like just all the teams being there, it seems like it's been, obviously I'm not there, so I can't really uh, speak to it, but from everything I've heard, it seems like a a cool environment where the focus is just basketball. There's there's nothing else going on. It's just empty gym, like we're just here to hoop. And I, I'm kind of curious to see what that would look like in a, in a college context.
0: Yeah, I think you're going to see it. I'm interested to see it too. I think that would be a lot of fun to have, I mean, it's almost like the SEC baseball tournament where you have so much talent in one spot. Um, and it's going to be a lot of fun. I, you know, if that happens, if it comes to fruition, you know, that, that'd be a lot of fun to watch because it feel like the SEC tournament every day um, because there's so much talent on the floor. There's so much talent just in the city, uh, wherever they are. And, and I think that's going to be a lot of fun. Expensive, but fun.
1: Yeah, well, and then that's uh, unfortunately going to be the key, and, and going to have to be a big part of the conversation uh, is, is the expenses. But um, with that, with the uh, NBA bubble, I want to turn our attention to our new favorite segment, which is uh, Gamecocks in the NBA, because we just don't have the opportunity to to talk about that a whole lot. And I I, I feel bad because the other day uh, on my local show with Jay Jay Phillips, um, I mentioned that you know PJ was playing big minutes for the Nuggets as he had been in the bubble and played twenty something minutes in the first. Uh, Playoff game they had against the Jazz and they won and he was playing crunch time uh, even played in overtime and it was just re- it was really cool to see um, a, a former Gamecock on that stage and I was like man I wonder when the last time a South Carolina basketball player has scored in an NBA playoff game I was like it, it must have been you know at least twenty years Ronaldo Bachman I don't think ever got into the playoffs and then you know I immediately put my foot in my mouth because literally last year Cindarius Thornwell scored uh, for the Clippers um, he you know he, he played in a, in a couple of blowouts against uh against the Warriors and did score five points. So he got there. Um uh, but it is even a little bit different. Not to diminish Cendarius Thornwell and what he's doing and obviously was a part of the bubble, uh part of the New Orleans Pelicans organization and has, you know, been on a couple different teams, but still, as we talked about last time or, or a couple podcasts ago, like, you know, just consistently hanging around the league is is consistently getting Um, you know, roster spots because good teammate, good defender, knows where he needs to be, professional, all those things. Um, But for P.J., I mean, he's come in, he's really making an impact, and Denver's a little bit shorthanded injuries to Gary Harris. Will Barton have, you know, sort of put them a little deeper into their bench than they normally would have been, but he's coming in and he's, he's contributing, and he's really seemed to have earned the trust of his teammates and of Michael Malone.
0: Yeah, I mean, and it's really cool to see, a guy that a lot of people criticized his decision to leave after his sophomore year. And um, it took him a while, but he's latched on and it's, you know, he's not on the two way deal. This is not, you know, PJ, you know, getting some time just cause getting time. he's on an actual deal playing big minutes and playing well. Um, I think it's huge. I think it's a lot of, it, you know, it's a lot of fun because PJ and I went to school at the same time. So, you know, obviously I remember his, sophomore year was my senior year so i remember you know pretty much his entire career at south carolina um it's and i mean it's a lot of fun to see and i think denver i mean they have a chance to make some noise in the playoffs. um obviously everyone's talking about um the i guess the trailblazers uh on the western side of things but you know they you know with jamal murray and um Michael Porter on the team, and, and you know, obviously the that big man. You're you have a team that has a chance to run, depending on how their matchups work out, and if they can get through this first round, have a chance to some good things in the playoffs. Oh mm-hmm.
1: uh, yeah, and and again, that that's, that's an organization that I think doesn't. Uh, I people don't talk about it a lot, and, and they've only recently. You know, kind of ascended, but they've been towards the top of the Western Conference for the last couple years, and that has a lot to do with Nikola Jokic. But uh, they've just done a a really fantastic job of of like finding guys, of cultivating guys, developing guys. You know, a couple diamonds in the rough here, but not a lot of people know a lot about Denver, especially here. And I think it's because a lot of their games are you know West Coast, or I guess they're I don't know if they're Mountain Time or Pacific Time, but whatever they're they're behind us a lot, and so not a lot of people watch Denver or have heard a lot of the a lot of their players, but. You know guys like uh, Torrey Craig, and they turn Malik Beasley into a, a you know a real trade chip. Uh, you know guys like Gary Harris that are making eighty million dollars a year, and people are like, "Who's Gary Harris?" But they just they they seem to have a knack. And and the point that I'm trying to make here, or, or where I'm going with this, is that uh, the Carolina players that are in the NBA, and uh, you know Brian Bowen in, in uh, Indiana, and obviously Chris Silva with the Miami Heat, like they they found their ways onto some top top organizations, and I I don't think that's a mistake or an accident, and I, those organizations are good for a reason because they 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 pick the right guys they develop the right guys and it's it's high character guys it's professionals um and, and people talk about the spurs in the heat and I, I think denver should honestly be in that discussion now you know the miami heat and san antonio spurs have both won championships much more much more recently than the nuggets who have won championships uh, never um but as a good team and and as a Semi legitimate contender, as you mentioned. Like if they're in the Western Conference Finals, I won't be surprised at all. Nicole Jokic is, you know, one of the best eight or ten players in the league, and and that's, you know, that's that's half the battle right there. They need to get a little more out of Jamal Murray on a consistent basis, but that's a conversation for another podcast. But I I think, I I think it's twofold. On the one hand, it's really great for the Gamecocks that are in in the NBA to be a part of these good organizations, and on the other hand, like it, it speaks a lot. Uh, up to those guys that these good organizations, these model organizations and the ones that have done such a good job historically of, you know, finding the sort of diamond in the rough talent and developing them have decided to take some chances on a couple of Gamecocks.
0: Yeah. And I think it speaks to the program Frank runs the things that they kind of learn in college through that system. I mean, when you talk about, you know, especially Chris Silva with the Miami heat and, you know, the Miami way and kind of how they run things with heat culture it's, I mean, that heat culture and what South Carolina tries to, you know, obviously promote look pretty similar. Um, and I think that's how you kind of um, get Chris on that roster and, and sticking to it. Um, so, and, and same with him, um, same with PJ, uh, same with Sundarius getting another shot in the NBA. So, um, I think that speaks volumes to what Frank and, and that staff do on a day-in and day-out basis because it gives guys, you know, they might not be, you know, max contract guys every now and again, but um, guys that stick in the league and have a chance to, you know, make a lot of money um, doing, you know, and playing basketball.
1: Mm-hmm. Chris Silva, too, got some minutes in the bubble, played, uh, I guess, uh, mostly in the last two games, and, and I guess the, the seating was, was mostly set at that point, but played uh, 14 minutes and uh, picked up eight points, five rebounds, and an assist against the Thunder. And then the Pacers, uh, whom the Heat are facing in the playoffs as well, uh, played 24 minutes, 5 points, got 11 rebounds. I I didn't check, but I'm pretty sure that's uh, his career high. Added an assist and three blocks um, to that. Didn't play in their first playoff game, their second playoff game. I think tips at 1 o'clock this afternoon. So probably by the time you listen to this, that game will be either underway or have uh, just wrapped up. But if you're not a huge NBA fan, um, because in all honesty, Colin, I did not grow up a big NBA fan. It wasn't until high school that I really got turned on to the league and started following it. Um, Religiously, and now, of course, you know Jay Phillips loves to make fun of me for being, you know, the biggest basketball fan in Columbia, which isn't saying a whole lot. Um, But I I think a large part of that is because I I mean, frankly, I didn't grow up being a big basketball fan because South Carolina basketball wasn't really worth watching, and then I didn't have any of those ties to the NBA where I was like, oh, you know, like if I grew up a Kentucky fan, it's like I want to watch the '87 Kentucky guys that are in the NBA right now and see how they're doing. So I never really had that tie. So I, I think this could this could mean a lot for a younger generation. Like if you're Nine or ten years old right now, and, and or maybe you know like twelve or thirteen, and you remember Chris Silva being at South Carolina, and now you're following him on the Miami Heat, and again, same with PJ Dozier, same with I, I guess not the same with Brian Bowen because you didn't actually watch him at South Carolina, but if you're a if you're a nerd like us and you you know remember those little uh, essentially roster asterisks, um, you know that means something, and obviously this in Darius Thornwell. It, it, it's just really cool. So I would with that I would say. If you're not an NBA fan, one you should be because it's my favorite sports league uh, on planet Earth. I think it's the best. The bubble has been fantastic, and you have a couple of Gamecocks that are, you know, not starters, not MVP candidates, but are, are contributors on, on good teams in the playoffs. And it just it, it gives it a little bit of a uh, gives it a little bit of a different feel in, in terms of rooting interest and, and casual watching.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is huge. I mean, I grew up a big college basketball fan Um, just growing up here and South Carolina wasn't necessarily rattling off, you know, NCAA tournament appearances, but you had some good ACC basketball Um, parent. My dad grew up a Michigan fan, so we got to watch Michigan basketball. Um, But, you know, I really got into the NBA more as I got into college. And, you know, it's cool to watch these guys that, you know, I laugh about that are younger than me. PJ is younger than me. Chris Silva is younger than me. Um, and now they're in the NBA, and you know, you follow their careers. And, and Chris and I got along really well in this time at South Carolina, um, so it was a lot of fun. It's it's a lot of fun to watch them play and watch them kind of ball out.
1: And I've appreciated uh, your your updates on uh, on Twitter every now and again cuz again I know it's a lot of Gamecock fans and they're probably not used to seeing the NBA content uh, from you but uh, w- I guess we've talked about this a little bit before and I know you're watching cuz you're you know tweeting about PJ and those guys but what has been uh, your takeaway now that the NBA playoffs have started in the bubble I was a little bit worried that the atmosphere wouldn't really be there but but I haven't noticed like I mean it's it's still it's still the first round of the playoffs so it might be a different intensity come conference finals and finals but I, I think this thing has just been I mean, obviously an outrageous success in terms of everyone staying healthy, but just the the level of play, it it doesn't feel a lot different than the playoffs would normally at this point.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is high-level basketball. Um, It's a lot of fun to watch. I don't watch a lot of NBA regular season. Uh, I do turn in for um, the playoffs more often than not. So it's been, I mean, a really, really high-level basketball. And um, you have some good matchups right now, but I mean, when you look at those potential second rounders and then obviously conference finals and things like that, you have a chance of some, I'm assuming pretty damn good basketball over the next few weeks.
1: Do you want to make a pick or do you have any feelings?
0: You know, one of my old roommates has a bet down on the Portland trailblazers. So mm. I can't pick them to do anything because <laughs> I hear about it constantly. Okay, But, um, I really like what I've seen from the Trailblazers over the last few yeah. weeks um, since they got into the bubble. Um, I'm trying to think. I'd probably take um, the Raptors or the Bucks in the East. I really like the Raptors a lot. Um, so, you know, I'll go Raptors. I'll, I'll say Raptors over anything else.
1: I love that. I love the Raptors. They're just, they're such a fundamentally sound team. And they, uh, I, I feel like they. Okay, that's what I'll tell you. If you're a Carolina fan, watch Denver. Um again, because PJ's played twenty minutes a game so far in the playoffs and that's, you know, uh worth tuning in for. But the Raptors kind of remind me of what South Carolina could be stylistically. Because again, for if you're listening right now and you're not a big NBA fan, you're probably just gonna, you know, kinda tilt your head to the side like a confused puppy when I tell you that their best player is Pascal Siakam. Maybe you know the name Kyle Lowry, but by and large, it's a it's a lot of guys that have now played together for a couple of years. That trust each other, that understand each other. There's a lot of quality depth there, but it doesn't have the the sort of like high end talent. And I, I think that would keep me from picking them to win the NBA title because you know having Kawhi last year, he was the guy that could take over, that could put him over the edge. If they needed a bucket late in the fourth quarter, he could get it. And they don't have that guy as much now. But their their floor is so high. Like the the, the worst the Raptors are going to play is so good because again they're so fundamentally sound. Nick Nurse is an unbelievable coach. Um, and, and coached in the G League for a long time and won, like, five G League titles. So that's kind of a fun story, too. It's not only players that can make their way up from the G League to the NBA and have a lot of success. Obviously, the reigning coach of the year might win it again this year. Um, but they're just they, – they, to me, represent, like, the upside the, – the NBA equivalent of what the upside of South Carolina could be without, like, that one – without that one star. Again, AJ could be awesome. Jermaine could be awesome. But, like, neither one of those guys – uh, neither one of those guys is going to be like a lottery pick. Like like Kentucky's right. going to have like ten of you know.
0: Right. Yeah, and I think that that's you know there's comparisons to be drawn there, and uh, it's a lot of fun to watch. I'm always big. I mean, I love getting to watch you know stars play, but if you show me a well-run team that everyone kind of understands their role and what they're doing, um, that's a lot of fun to watch too. And and you're getting that with the Raptors, and you get that a lot with South Carolina too.
1: Yeah, just really pretty uh, really pretty ball movement, like really nice uh, defensive rotations if you're again a nerd and, and are like really into watching those kinds of things. I think it's I think it's a lot of fun to watch someone like perfectly execute like three or four rotations on defense. It's just it's uh, it's it's really nice. But um yeah. yeah, watch the Raptors, um watch the Heat. You know, I think I've mentioned this on this podcast before, but uh Chris Vernon who has a sports radio show in Memphis and does a podcast Over at the ringer and uh, does just a lot of NBA. He said, you know, his sort of philosophy of team building, if he were a GM, is just don't have guys on your team that suck. And that's what the Raptors do. And that's what the Miami Heat do. And there's a couple other teams that sort of fit that bill. Um, And that's hopefully what Carolina is going to do, just in putting out a lot of quality depth on the the board this year. But um, watch some NBA basketball. That'll, you know, hopefully carry you over because that's going to go into like September, October. That'll carry you over into, uh, into college basketball. So it's could It could be all basketball all the time for, uh, for quite a while, Colin.
0: Yeah. uh, There are worse things to have in life than all basketball all the time. (laughs) I know.
1: It's great. It's great. Uh, All right. And with that, uh, we're going to wrap up here, but we will be back soon. Um, Again, we're going to, Keep you guys updated as soon as we get more information about what the season will look like, when it will start, bubbles, all those things that are a little bit up in the air, and in the next month or so, we expect to get a lot more um, developments on that, and especially once we get the schedule and we can go through and really start to uh, discuss South Carolina more concretely. And as Colin mentioned, just here in the last couple weeks, they've been getting back on the court. So we'll be back uh, with updates on the schedule, updates from the actual roster, from the preseason workouts that they have going on right now, everything related to South Carolina basketball, and uh, as many updates of uh, Gamecocks and the pros as we can get, uh, depending on uh, how far the Nuggets, Heat, and uh, Pacers get in the NBA playoffs. Uh, But thank you all so much for listening to this podcast. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to that. And uh, check out everything Colin does, football, basketball, and everything else on com. great time to be a subscriber just an unbelievable amount of content i mean y'all you, you got new stuff cycling through like every hour like i said football updates basketball updates here soon enough so gamecockcentral.com and the gamecock central podcast network will keep you up to date on everything thanks so much for listening and we'll talk to you next time
0: being a parent can be really challenging